0: Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out people of product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper but not have to have my head sagged down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. Companies go in and they say, okay, we're gonna build a massive company and then we're gonna donate on the back end.
1: We look at it a little differently. We're going to say, we're going to donate on the front end and build a massive company along the way. Like that donation is first and foremost. And on the back end, there's a few of us that are really focused on scaling and growing. But in terms of our culture, company culture, in terms of the stories we're telling, in terms of the partnerships we're taking on, our main focus is how can we give back more, which is a beautiful thing. And it ends up bringing in some beautiful people.
0: Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got a great co-host, my longtime friend, Lindsay Hadley. Lynn, thanks for making time for this.
2: Thanks for having me, Jess.
0: So why don't we have you just give a a tiny intro on Orphan Myth and and then introduce our guest here.
2: Well, thanks so much. I'm so grateful that you guys have partnered with us to do a series on Orphan Myth and to talk about all the misunderstandings and misnomers around vulnerable children around the world. And... Orphan Myth is a collection of 30-plus charities who are all focused on family-based solutions to address the needs of children. All over the world, when we look at how we care for children, oftentimes the most common responses to build institutions or orphanages, especially internationally and here domestically. We look to the child protective services and the foster care system to address their basic needs. A lot of times we think, you know, if we're meeting their basic temporal needs, like housing, education, medical care, and food, we're meeting, you know, we're taking care of the kids. And what the longitudinal studies are showing and what we've been learning over the last few decades is that actually children need something even even more than that. They need a place to belong and to be loved. And they need a permanent loving family. And family-based care is by far the best for their long-term outcomes, both psychologically, financially even physically. And so these 30 plus charities are all making a big stand and a big um, effort and have programs that either work through prevention to keep kids in their original families, their biological families, because most of the children internationally especially are there due to poverty and then they're and or they're working on reunification if they've been separated, that they make sure they get back to their family of origin. And then in cases where that's not possible, then look to Find adoption first locally so that they can stay in their own communities as well. So it's an amazing initiative, all about families, and we believe every child deserves a family. So I'm so excited to introduce Ben Higgins. Ben has the most incredible career. He started out as, you know, you'd say like the boy next door, you know, an athlete and a really talented, unassuming character. He recently wrote a book called Alone Plain in Sight, which I just recently read or listened to rather on Audible, Ben. It was so well done. Congratulations on that. I'd love for him to talk more about that. But then many of you may know Ben from his first time on The Bachelorette when he was (laughs) one of the many gentlemen vying for (laughs) attention and then later switched the roles as lead bachelor and has gone on to be a social entrepreneur, including some of the initiatives he's going to talk about today. But Ben has the biggest heart. He was introduced to me by my friend Chantel, who was a a former producer at Oprah Winfrey. And she just thinks the world of Ben. And she just said, you know, um, what I could say about Ben, which I think is m- maybe the most important, even more than all of his incredible accomplishments, is she said, when he's with you, he's so present. He, he, he makes you feel like you're the center of the world. And I think that's such a beautiful thing. And so Ben shows up that way for people. And I'm so grateful that he's come on as an ambassador to Orphan Myth and to help help spread this awareness and this education that we're trying to help. Redirect funding that goes towards institutional care and instead goes towards family-based solutions, as we've been discussing. So, thanks, Jess.
0: Yeah, Ben, I, I'm interested how you introduce yourself when, you, when you're at a party and they, somebody doesn't know who you are. They go, uh, "So, what do you do?"
1: Yeah, that is Jess. That's a great question. Well, Lindsay, thank you for that. That's really nice, and I'm really glad we got connected. It's been a really cool, you know, couple months since we were able to talk for the first time, but. Jess, I don't know how to answer that question yet because here's the problem: when somebody asks me what I do, it's typically it, because right now I'd say, "Hey, I, I own a coffee company," and they would say, <laughs> "What? That doesn't make sense. Like, what do you mean a coffee company? Like a coffee shop?" And I'm like, "Kind of," but this is the story behind generous. And they're like, "Oh, so that like takes up all your time?" I'm like, "Well, not really. Like, there's other like." So I don't know how to answer that. I'd say I introduce myself at a party, "Hi, I'm Ben." When somebody asks what I do, I'll say a mix of things. I get to be involved in some really cool stories. That's how I end it. And if they want to follow up with questions, they can. If they're like, "All right, this dude's weird. I'm done. I can tell he wants to talk about himself," then we just move on.
0: Well, I think I think one of the things that I'm most interested about, and, and Linz, I want to know what questions you have for Ben next. But this idea of you know you, you get you know a million fo- social media followers on this and half a million on that, and and then you're able to like. Direct that to do good with. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. And I, I won't take credit for that always. And so one of the things, it's a really cool story that happened. I went, as Lindsay was saying, from being my my job out of college is writing user manuals for a software company. And that's a great job. I have no problem with that. It pays well, it's a steady job, but I was terrible at it. When and when I say bad at it, like if you take every <laughs> skill set I don't have and eliminate all the skill sets I do have, that would have been that job. And and so I get off the show and I get all this attention. As you mentioned, I get all these followers on Instagram. Things feel really good and it's really easy to start making it about yourself. Well, as soon as you make it about yourself, you realize that the, the weight of that and the burden of that becomes not very exciting. It doesn't become fun. It feels very isolating. And so I called my buddies up one day and I said, hey, I'm having a problem. I really love being famous. I really love being talked about. I really love being relevant. But it's not, it's not feeling good. Like it, I I think I like the idea of it, but it doesn't feel good in my heart. Like it doesn't at all. And they said, What if what if you started using this thing for something greater than yourself? What if this was never supposed to be about you? What if you started pointing all the attention to something else? And that's what I said, hey, I'll trust you as friends. And I did it. And it's been an incredible journey because the more I do that, the less it's about me and the less it's about me, the more fun I have with it and the more free it becomes.
2: That's amazing. I, I do have a question for you, Ben, because you, in your book, you talked about the how important it is to be fully known by someone. You mm-hmm. talked about how, you know, you felt oftentimes as a young kid, which is something I could totally relate to. You talked about how, as a child, you were the kid that wasn't picked for a partner in, in in class or that you felt like, you know, you were on the outside of your athletic friends in college or whatever. And you just kind of felt like you're on the outside looking in and how you later found out that's a really common feeling because I felt that as well in my life. And one of the things you said that I thought were really profound was just like, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like, you know, the true intimacy is like being fully known by someone and accepted exactly as you are kind of thing. And with this theme of these kids, you just recently met the crew from America's yeah. Kids Belong, you know, who's helping foster care kids get adopted. And literally the, the name America's Kids Belong, the whole thing is they want these kids to know that they belong. The idea of sitting around a dinner table and, and realizing you don't belong, that you're just there temporarily, you know, is just heartbreaking. But can you share with me a little bit, you know, why you feel so passionate about sharing that, about that idea of belonging?
1: A hundred percent. Well, you know, I think it's twofold too. I think it's not only the idea that I want to be known or I want to have people in my life that are curious to know me, but also I want to be a part of getting to know others. And I, and I don't know if that ever happens where I can fully be known or I can fully know others, but that pursuit, the curiosity, the journey, the the kind of tackling that adventure is something that I want to have in my life. It's exciting. People's stories are amazing. They're constantly changing they're being formed and reformed again. And I also think that everybody's story matters. It makes them who they are. And that's why, you know, with the Orphan Myth and also being a part of the America's Kids Belong program and, and having them shoot some videos and and, and sitting in, in the midst of what they do and what, what Orphan Myth does, it's, it's why it's something that is really fun for me that I'm passionate about that I, I believe I can help with because I cannot imagine a kid sitting there feeling like not only does he not belong, But you can almost feel and like tangibly see the isolation that those children are experiencing where their families maybe are around or they're being pulled from their families or they're constantly moving from siblings and away from siblings or friendships. That's difficult. And that's why you want to sit in the middle of that. You want to sit in that and say, how can I help? How can I help bridge the gap? What, what, What people are out there trying to make these kids feel like they're known, that they matter, that their stories matter, that they're not just objects, but they're beautiful people who will go on to do great things in this world. I can't, uh, to close with this, I'll say I can't imagine a worse feeling than being alone and sad. I know I've been in that place and it makes me a lesser version of myself. I can't imagine uh, a worse feeling than that in my life. And if I felt that and I know how hard it is, I want to walk into other people's lives who are feeling alone and sad and try to sit in it and just be there, if anything.
2: Hmm. I think think it's so profound what you're saying, because I loved how you turned around to wanting to know people like uh, that. You're so other centric. It's so obvious that in your life, you just always are looking outside of yourself and you have no self focus. I think it's really cool, Ben. And I love that you're vulnerable enough to admit that I like being famous. I like attention. I mean, who doesn't like that, you know? Jess actually has been one of my mentors throughout my life. And I met him when I was really young, like 17, I think, in college. And he was a newlywed to his beautiful wife, Stephanie. And I just thought they were so cool and grown up, you know, because they had like (laughs) their own house and they were married and stuff. Um, And so, but one of the things that he's always shared with me is how, how, you know, oftentimes like, especially a personality like mine, like I'm going around trying to get, I don't know, my, my, my. Passport of approval stamped by everyone I meet, you know, like please approve Mm. of me. And he just helped me realize that everybody's doing the same. Like, what if I could go around and stamp everybody else's Mm. approvals? You know, like it would be such a more life giving experience to be the giver, you know, in that regard. So I love what you're
1: saying. Yeah, it would be right. I mean, it's kind of the idea of the loan in plain sight is the book that I wrote was on this idea that I felt like at the outset of looking in, or I felt alone in many instances in my life, right? If it would be in business, if it would be in my career path, if it would been on television or in relationships, I always felt like I was missing something. And what I realized as soon as I admitted that publicly, and then also around my friend groups, many people, if not everyone said, I felt that way too. I felt mm-hmm. that way also. And, and so as you're saying like, Hey, what if we go around and get the stamp approval on everybody else's passports, the same thing would be look at what if you could look around, you go, I am going to assume that everybody in this room is hurting at some level, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody has some pain right now. What if I could just be uh, the voice and the source of, of sitting in it with them? What if they just knew I was always available? What if they knew they weren't alone in that pain and this pain? Yes, it hurts and it's unique to them, but they're not alone in it, that we're, we're all in, in some sort of pain or discomfort. How how much more beautiful would the world be and how much more would we start paying attention to the little things around us and to the people around us? I think that's a great way to start looking at it. Maybe, you know, you say I'm mother-centric. I would say I have a huge ego. I would just say that I've, I've recognized and I've realized in my life whenever stuff becomes about me, it becomes really, one, isolating, and two, it's not as much fun. It's just not, and it, and it doesn't, it doesn't make my life get any richer or grander. It just, it gets stagnant when it's about me because I'm the only one running the race. And so when we can bring more people along and wrap our arms around more people, it gets a lot more exciting. <laughs>
2: That's,
0: so You know, Ben, I'm, I'm just looking at your book, Alone in Plain Sight on Amazon, looks like it came out, you know, a little over a month ago. And I don't know if you know the stat, the vast majority of books on Amazon never get 10 reviews. Like, the overwhelming majority of all books. So, you know, a little month, a month in, you got 156 reviews at five stars means that your book was more, was not just a fluff book, that it was something that's actually mattered to people. So one little, maybe one little bit of feedback for you on that one. Well, that's (laughs)
1: awesome. Yeah, dude, I I have no clue like how many books usually sell. I don't know anything about the book world. I've chosen not to, my publisher would have told me, but I said, I don't want to know anything because I know I'm just going to be disappointed. Like, that's how my brain works, right? I'm going to set insane goals. And if it doesn't get there, then I'm just going to. And so I've just stayed like naive to it. So for you to say that, and it like, that feels really good. I've really wondered because I don't know the response. I haven't felt the response. And so thank you for sharing that. That's, that's incredible. And I'm glad, I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad people are reading it.
2: Yeah, it was really great, Ben. And I think you know, I first heard about you because I'm going to totally admit something: I, I, I never really watched The Bachelor.
0: That's okay. <laughs> so,
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm a busy working mom with three kids, and just you know, I'm not that fun. So I'm like always, if I had any spare time, I was listening to self help books like your book. Uh,
1: <laughs> Although I don't
2: sure. know that I would characterize it as a self help because. You're, it's more I felt like it was a book about love and gratitude and appreciation and humility I thought it felt like a gratitude book except but I think that's incredibly self-helping right to 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 come from a place of gratitude but you you talked in your book but when I first heard about you I should back up when I first heard about you it was actually my friend um, Jess G she is a social media influencer they're called the Bucketless family and she was like Ben Higgins, because I was saying that we, you know, we were partnering with you with one of my clients, Sackcloth and Ashes, and oh, yeah. she said he's like the darling of all the Bachelors combined. Like he's the most favorite, beloved. Like every he was everyone's
1: superhero. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or not. Yeah, she
2: said that, and I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I said, what was it about him, you know? And anyway, everybody just said overwhelming. He was so genuine and so nice, and you could just tell that authenticity. So I, I really, I think that's a really cool brand and a really cool way to posture in the world. And I think your book really resonated that way. So I know it's probably, you know, hard to always hear such positive, you know, feedback when you're like, you know, at least if you're like me, you're like, well, if you really knew me, or you really saw me on my bad moments, you know, but the truth is that that is your default position, you can just kind of tell. And I think it's really powerful. One of the things you talked about in your book was about how you first visited Honduras, and you started doing this philanthropic work. And Mm -hmm. the main point of Orphan Myth is to, to help dispel some myths. You know, there's some misunderstandings about things that and with the most incredible intentions, people run, that want to run towards suffering and diminish suffering will come in and try to help. And then we learn along the way that we take some things for granted or we're making some assumptions and we have to become more refined in how we help so that some of the, there's not a, unintended consequences as a result. Jess knows we've worked together for years in social good efforts, and we've learned some things along the way that were startling to us, we thought, and took, took for granted some ideas and concepts. But maybe you can share a little bit about what happened with you there. and that, that, you know, When you first got on the ground and you got this exposure, that it, it made you mad you talked about the level of poverty people live in and, and drove you to action with your friends.
1: Yeah, you're right. So when I was 15 years old, I went to Central America for the first time. And uh, I saw true poverty. And, and, and there's poverty that exists here in the U.S. There's poverty that exists everywhere, but I wasn't exposed to it. And I saw it for the first time in Honduras specifically. It was kids without clean water, food, education, healthcare, no housing, living in, when, when one of the communities went to it was literally living in the, the trash dump in Honduras. And so you got to think about this. One of the, the poorest countries in the world. And then these are some of the most poor people in the world. And we went there and we handed out food boxes, which is a great thing, right? I mean, it's fine. We, we handed out these food boxes and we handed out some clothes and then we left. We came back the next year. So I was there two years in a row. And when we came back the next year, the people were still hungry, still without clean water, still without health care, still without all those things I had mentioned. And they were still living in the dump. And my buddies and I got furious. Like we just, we started asking like those like teenage questions, right? But why? the what, what's going on here kind of questions. And we didn't know how to process it because we were young. We just got mad. We're like, this is stupid. Like, why are we coming down here, handing out food boxes? These people are suffering and we'll just leave and go back home and feel bad about ourselves for the next couple months. And we'll go back next year and take a couple pictures and feel a little better about ourselves when we're there. It's It was a bad cycle. And so what we did is we got together and we said, is there a better way? And what we came up with, my buddy specifically, Riley came up with, was a solution that if we went in these communities and we asked them, what do they need? What do they want? What do they dream of? And then how can we help? We wouldn't go down there as the saviors. So we wouldn't go down there just wanting to get good pictures taken. We wouldn't go down there telling them how to live their lives, but we could partner beside them to help them accomplish their goals. It brings an empowerment. It brings in a partnership. We have a benefit. They have a benefit. And so for 10 years, well, 11 years now, we've been doing this with Humanity and Hope United. And it's been incredible to see the progress in these communities, to see the sustainability built in these communities. They're running their own small businesses now. They're all, we have our first kid right now. We actually have two from these communities ever going to college. They're both in college as we speak. That's in, in just an absolute incredible accomplishment. We have a healthcare system provided. There's, they're all going to school. Women have jobs. Men have jobs. Well, anyways, with this being said, is I think one of the myths to poverty is that it's unsolvable or that it's too big of a a burden to tackle. And I think one of the the things I would say, it's not at all. It just takes the right posture. You can't go in being the saviors. you are not going to go in to fix the world, but when you go in and these people are human, they're, they're friends of ours. We love them. They're smart. They've got incredible talents. When you just like you would to your friends and your family here in the U S when you see somebody with talent, you can help cultivate it and help grow it and walk beside them in that and so that they can flourish and move out and change other communities along the way and so that's one of the biggest myths i think is when we hear the word poverty we think it's what what are we going to do about it? there's nothing you can do and it's like that couldn't be farther from the truth
0: you know my question here and i know it ties in can you give just a little bit more background on generous coffee and then my my probably biggest question is how do you differentiate in the world of coffee you know, there's so many options. So yeah. if you want to maybe take those two on.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So Generous Coffee was a response to Human Hope United. Again, Humane Hope United is a nonprofit we just spoke of that does community development work, work in Central America. Well, over time, after my time on the show, our fundraising at Humanity Hope kind of skyrocketed it. We went from like 150,000 a year to over half a million a year. And so my buddy and I went down to Honduras kind of on a, what are we going to do with this newfound money kind of thing? Like what communities can we enter into? What businesses can we start to build up? Those kind of questions. And one of the things brought up to us at a dinner one night was, okay, you've raised all this money based on the show. What happens when Ben stops being the bachelor? What happens when the relevancy fades? What are you going to do for fundraising then? You have this sustainable you know, model for your nonprofit. But if your fundraising is not sustainable, then how are you going to strategically plan five, 10, 15 years out? It's impossible to do. And so we came back to the States and we were like, what are we going to how how are we going to build a sustainable fundraising model into Humanity Hope United? And the idea we came up with was we're going to create a for-profit company. We consider ourselves for purpose. We're going to sell products that are socially responsible, of the highest quality, and then we're going to find people that were in the right financial position to help us start this company. They're going to sign off their abilities to make a profit on the value of the company or on the sale of a product so that we could donate 100% of the profits to nonprofits and social causes around the world. So the bigger Generous grows, the more we donate. The larger impact Generous has, the more goes out to nonprofits. And so that's in our operating agreements. That's a legal document that we have to hold ourselves to. And so at Generous, we sell mostly coffee and apparel. I'm I'm wearing uh, one of our apparels right now, Change Lives, it says. And then we donate 100% of the profits, which ends up being about 10% of revenue two nonprofits out of each bag sold. That's about where our cogs come in. Now, how do we differentiate ourselves? I'd say this, we involve ourselves in a lot of stories. So one of the ways is we partner with a lot of organizations, a lot of businesses, a lot of for-profit businesses, a lot of nonprofit businesses who have want to find a way to fundraise. The second thing that we do is, and I, and I don't have any problem with this model. I think it's just our differentiator. A lot of companies go in and they say, okay, we're going to build a massive company and then we're going to donate on the back end. We look at it a little differently. We're going to say, we're going to donate on the front end and build a massive company along the way. Like that donation is first and foremost. And on the back end, there's a few of us that are really focused on scaling and growing. But in terms of our culture, company culture, in terms of the stories we're telling, in terms of the partnerships we're taking on, our main focus is how can we give back more, which is a beautiful thing. And it ends up bringing in some beautiful people with some incredible stories, right? I mean, I've always joked, like, if you're an investor into generous, it's the worst financial investment you could ever make in your life. Like, you are not giving money to generous to make money on generous. It's impossible to do. So we've been able to find people who've been really blessed and really lucky in life to make good money and to be in a good place in life to say, I want to see my money grow. And I believe this is a good avenue to do it. It's been really awesome. And I've been now the president. I was the CEO up until about six months ago, we brought on somebody to kind of give me some help day to day. But I've been the president now for three, three and a half years. And it's been an incredible experience. You can go to generouscoffee.com to buy some coffee if you like coffee, by the way.
2: (laughs) That's so great. And I love that you brought up the myth of poverty because you're so right. The three myths that we're trying to address an orphan myth. The first one is that children in orphanages abroad are orphans. Everybody assumed I did. I did prior to getting in this orphan care reform world, I completely thought like every Disney, Disney movie, both their parents had died or they'd totally been abandoned. When actually the reality is 80% of all children living in institutions globally, orphanages actually have living parents and often parents who really love them but due to poverty they've placed them in institutions because they can get fed they're educated and you know a warm bed to sleep in and generally they see that as like a better opportunity for their child like a boarding school is the kind of the framework in which they see it the reality is that it's not best for the child it would have been better having one meal a day and being with their mom and dad and or dad and or grandparents and so it's a really devastating insight to know that are rushing towards, you know, covering in expenses and and trying to help these kids has actually driven a family separation crisis. And so that's where the reunification and the repurposing of these institutions is coming in with a lot of our partners around the world. And then the second myth is that there are no orphans in the United States. You know, I mean, we never hear that word and it's because we don't use that word here. And there are children experiencing foster care and there are 420,000 kids in foster care in our country, in the U.S., most of which were the hope is to get reunified with their parents, that the state takes them temporarily and until their parents can get on their feet or get over substance abuse or get out of incarceration or whatever, they can be returned. But 100,000 of those kids will never be returned to their parents. Due to se- usually severe neglect and abuse, They will th- their parental rights are permanently terminated. Those 100,000 kids are awarded custody of the state they live in. And they're, they are our proverbial orphans, right? Like they need a mom and dad. They need to be adopted. And so we don't have to go to Honduras or overseas to to help vulnerable children. They're in our own backyard in whatever respective state we're in. And then the final myth is exactly what you said about poverty. It's that, that this isn't solvable. You know, mm-hmm. most people believe, I, I did, I genuinely believe there just weren't enough families to take in the kids that were on the streets or in institutions or in the foster care system. I just thought it was a supply and demand issue. But there's so much elasticity in that. What we found is there's actually more families willing to take in kids, more people experiencing infertility and desperate for adoption. There's more people who are willing to take in their next of kin and so if they had the support, right? If if we could address the poverty, the systemic issues that are keeping families apart, we can really do a lot. So I love that you said that. Those are the main myths we're trying to dispel. And I think that with what you're doing with your work, even the myth of nonprofit that you can't have, you know, a sustainable model to help, you know, help make a difference in the world. I think it's really cool. So I think it's great. Education is so powerful, isn't it? And Jess is like the the consummate educa- education guy. I mean, he reads on average like four books a week. It's crazy, Ben. I mean, he's oh, like... wow. Yeah, he's... <laughs> I feel like Jess, uh, Jess needs to write a couple books for sure with amalgamating all that he's learned. Make sure you read Alone in Plain Sight, hey, Jess, Make sure you get that in there on your to-do list.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ben, one of the things that I am really interested about you and I, I think that most entrepreneurs could learn this from you is, and, and I'll use it in this analogy, in the investment fund world, if you're into like 40 Act, like you know, where you get pension funds and that type of investor, not individuals, mm-hmm. you know the Black Rocks, the Black Stones, the, these type of folks... It's not often the fund that has the best returns that raises the most money. It ends up being the most well-known funds are the ones that raise the most. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so many folks, they work so hard on having great product market fit. Hey, is this something like genuinely different and valuable? Right. But the problem is there's so much good stuff out there. It's hard to break through the noise and, those folks who can create an audience, who can create a connection to large number of individuals, their businesses do better. I mean, look at Richard Branson. The guy did all these stunts to get himself on the front page of newspapers where you can't even buy an ad. He gets, him on, gets himself on there for free. He calls it Free Ink, right? And, and it did it wonders for Virgin. I'd love to talk about – why don't you talk about your podcast for a minute? Yeah, well, you make a good point. One of the
1: big things that I've been gifted with is this social media platform. And so, you know, for me, a lot of this, I'm very grateful to a crazy couple months in my life where I went on a television show and with the click of a button, you know, the the million plus people can see what it is we're up to. That's, that's a, cr- a crazy good benefit. It's a differentiator in every way. And I don't want to take it for granted. And it's been really cool to see how it's worked. Now, I do do a podcast with iHeartRadio. That's been an incredible gift also. It's the, the podcast and a couple other things in my life. Mostly the podcast has been a way that I've been able to support Generous financially and work for it for free. You know, the podcast takes up about five hours a week. And so I can then use a lot of my time to work on Generous and do this podcast that pays me way more than what I deserve for it. And then also use some of that money to keep generous going when when times get tough. It's been awesome. Now, granted, we're in a season of life for generous where I don't think I'm gonna have to be putting you know any of my own money back into it because we're pretty healthy now. But it's still that was how we got to where we're at today. That's a huge gift, and it comes from doing a podcast about The Bachelor on iHeart. That's wild. That makes no sense, but it's awesome. And I don't want to. I don't. And I don't at all want to take it for granted. The other cool thing that's been really fun. And, and what you guys are kind of doing here. And, and I know you guys have a huge platform. A lot of great ears are able to hear this. But I've been, I, during quarantine, I started a show called Hope Still Wins, which is on Wednesday nights. I've just it on an Instagram live and I've been able to talk to some crazy cool people, some of the best thinkers and, and some of the best leaders that I've always looked up to. And I bring them on and I just ask them about what it is they're up to. What are they dreaming of? What's hurting them? Where are they at in life? And then do they believe in hope? And if they don't, why don't they believe in it? If they do, why do they believe in it? That's expanded my network and my platform. It's given me a whole new voice to be able to speak from because I've been able to kind of sit in the midst of some really good, great people that I've looked up to forever. And just like it sounds like, Jess, you have a lot of people look up to you. And Lindsay, I know you have a lot of people look up to you. And that's that's something that's been really special. And so, yes, I'm with you. One of the things that I'm trying to do is to figure out, hey, how can we continue to position Generous to be that for-purpose business that connects people and grows our network in the for-purpose space. And so that we're not all competing on each other and stepping on each other's toes. We're trying to do good in the world. We can start to do this together in bigger and better ways than we could ever dream of alone.
0: Well, I'll pay you one more compliment on your podcast. You know, the stats out there, there's a lot of estimates that that podcasts may have gone over the million mark now of there there being over a million podcasts. The overwhelming majority of them have less than five episodes. And it's because people think it's this great idea. It seems so easy and they get started and they're not disciplined and they don't pay the price and it doesn't, it doesn't deliver the promises. So at, I think, uh, 254 episodes, I think, I think you're doing well, my friend.
1: That's wild. Five episodes. Yeah. 254 episodes. I didn't know that's how many we did. That's a lot of episodes, man. That's, that's a lot of bachelor talk, but it's been wild. It's been really fun. And we have a, a huge, like kind of following that just is like, grown up with us, right? My co-host, you know, was single when we started, met her now husband, dated her husband, why did we do the podcast? It's been really fun to kind of see what the podcast world can do and, and how that network can grow.
2: That's so great, Ben. And what got you interested in, and like when, when I first spoke, spoke to you, you to wanting to be a part of Orphan Myth and, and shedding a light on these vulnerable kids, what was it about the subject or any personal experience around foster care? Or, you know, I know you care a lot about the plight of human beings. But what about this issue was it that kind of got your heart?
1: Yeah, you know, the first is I Chantel, our friend, is is amazing. And uh, I trust her. And so when she says, hey, I think you should talk to this person, I, I will always say, if you be- if you believe I should, then I should. And so that was the first thing that got me talking to you. And then I looked you up, Lindsay, specifically and what your organization is doing and how your leadership's been formed and who you involve yourself with. And I said, this is intriguing to me, right? That a lot of these these things are interesting. And then I got to hear your heart and you got to explain personally, kind of what orphan myth is, what it's about the myth that you're trying to dispel, who's a part of it, kind of the, some of the solutions that you guys are trying to implement. And that was, that's something that was in a, in a sense, like it was easy for me to consume because I, you guys had the effectiveness of, of how you're going to go after some of these myths. You had the efficiency already built into how well you could do it how well you could structure it. And then you were doing what you said you were going to do when when this started that you were actually working on making this happen, and I know you have some big, a, a big season for Orphan Myth coming up here. And and then finally, I think kind of the the final straw was sitting in a place. And, and you, tr- I try to do this because we do get asked at generous often to be involved in different social good projects, that's not uncommon to us. But one of the things I try to do in those moments then is take a step back and try to relate with the people that we're speaking about, like who are the least of these who are the people feeling most isolated, who are the people feeling pushed aside and alone. And when you think about the kids out there who are separated from their families of all ages, if you're talking babies, the teenagers, I can't imagine that feeling because I had everything opposite of I had a loving family, a great family that wrapped me up and kept me alongside. And so knowing how much I count on my family, and then if I the idea of that to be taken away from me and to feel isolated in this world for, for any period of time, it would be it would be traumatic. It would be saddening. It would be confusing. It wouldn't. It would take so much of my story away. And so, when I think of that, I'm like, I would. I want to step into those moments like that. That's I. I, I want to try to be a part of not letting that happen, or at least trying to eliminate the problem itself. And so that's. I guess that's why it's like, yeah, this makes sense. This is something I'm passionate about. I care about. I can get behind. I can understand. And then we can all maybe maybe I could use this platform that's been given to me to try to do something about it. Thank you so much
2: for doing it too, Ben. I mean, it's really amazing because I think what I've learned about the human spirit is we really want to see the greatest possible efficiency return on our time and our resources, on our talents, right? Like we want to see purpose, you know, enacted in the world and driven through our life and and have meaning in the things we do, whether it's jumping on technology and having a conversation with three people, like if if it can do something, it's that actually like can tangibly affected and permeate the world. Like we want that. And so mm-hmm. I, I know I'm so grateful for the community of people that have addressed vulnerable children and their care. And, and I realize like a lot of times in these efforts, there's a lot of shaming and like you did this wrong and you caused more harm. And like, that's mm-hmm. not the intention with orphan myth at all. It's just that, Hey, we're learning a lot together and let's do better. Like at the end of the day, we can all agree that kids deserve a family, like you just described. The United Nations actually passed a resolution called the Rights to the Child, where 193 countries ratified this resolution, basically just saying that it's a human right for a child to be in a family, you know? And I thought that was such a powerful policy to underpin everything we're doing at Orphan Myth and these incredible partners who, whether it's repurposing an orphanage to become a community center where they can have, you know, childcare education or support to moms and individuals who are trying to struggle to keep their children's needs met in extreme poverty, or whether it's groups like, you know, America's kids belong that you met with that are working with the private sector, the faith sector and the um, public sector as well, the government to get children, you know, a wraparound support system and then, can show videos into the faith community of these kids where they can then find their forever families. It's so fun to, to, to see their personalities. Jess's wife, Stephanie actually has been a volunteer at America's Kids Belong and has gone and done interviews with these kids and she's so yummy and warm and just like such a bright spirit. So she brings out like the best in these kids and it's, it's so humbling to listen to them and to hear them be advocates for their own Selves, you know, right. Instead of a social worker or some piece of paper that has their stats or something like to have a little child speak their truth and say, you know, I remember, you know, you want to try to be not burdened. With, like for me, I try to not show my emotions as heavily with the kids because you don't want to dump in. Right. And it's hard for me because I, I like I'm holding back tears the whole time we're interviewing him often. <laughs> and there was mm-hmm. one little boy that, he was a teenager actually. And he shared, his name was Brandon. And he shared that when the question was asked, what does family mean to you? And he said, I'm going to say something that won't be super popular or re- received well. Maybe maybe he goes, but I don't, I don't even know what family means. You know, he's like, I've never had a family. I've never, I've never had anyone stay with me very long. They all quit on me. And I just remember the, the heaviness and what he was saying and, and just, you know, whether you're an individual learning about this issue for the first time, you don't need to be immediately become a foster care parent, you can wrap around a family that is fostering, you can, you know, drop off a gift basket or get their oil changed for them or mow their lawn or shovel their Rockway, you can donate to organizations that are doing this work day and day out, you could share one of these videos, if you go to America's Kids Belong you can actually Mm -hmm. see the videos of the kids on social media we've had kids get adopted from social media from those videos going out like how cool is that you could literally find a kid a permanent family so the trajectory of their lives can be totally altered but you know i think is there any stories of your work in the years of what you've done with either generous or Honduras? because you shared a few great ones in your book of somebody who you just felt like wow we got to be there in a moment in time that changed the trajectory of that outcome that you that comes to mind for you
1: many oh yeah one of the interesting ones is Due to the election this year, it didn't get covered, but Honduras actually was struck twice with two different hurricanes back to back within three days. Category five, same place, two different hurricanes hitting. And they just happened to be right at our communities that we work in, in like the San Pedro Sule area, El Progreso area. And so I was just down there a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, and got to see the rebuilding efforts. That's humbling in itself, right? To see how These people who have worked so hard to build homes for themselves and to get clean water for themselves and see all that get washed away. There was a story of Samuel, who actually is the one kid from a community that's in college right now. Well, he was back at home when the storms hit and the water rose so high, it rose to the top of the water tower. That's 20 foot high. The river had came in and he tied himself to the water tower. It was floating there for 48 hours so he would make sure that he was the last one to leave. This is an 18-year-old kid that he was saying, I'm going to be the leader of this community one day. I know it. I'm the only one that has a college education, I think, is what he's studying. And so I'm going to start now. I'm going to make sure I'm the last one to leave. And he did. He was the last one to leave. He tied himself there and floated 48 hours while stuff was washing by him. And the river was, you know, not knowing if you get saved or not.
0: Mm-hmm. An
1: incredible story there that, like, really brings things into perspective for me. The second is this one that comes to mind. We uh, were in our first community. And the community had said, Hey, we need clean water and said, okay, well, we're going to help you build a clean water tank. And then, you know, they're going to pay for access to it. So they have the empowerment feature to it. It gets put in and about four months later, I go to Honduras and I'm sitting in one of the women's homes. She has three kids. She was my age. So she's like 26 at the time. And I said, what's the biggest change since she got clean water? And she said, Ben, for the first time in my 26 years of life, I've woken up without a stomachache. And it's just one of those small little moments that everything stops because for me, that's not a thought I've ever had. It's not a thought I've ever considered is that the water that I drink or that every day of my life, I'm going to have a stomach ache. I don't, you know, I'm never my best self when I have a stomach ache. And so to know that that would have been the case every day, to know how much I take for granted, but it also, instead of like spurs me onto a place of shame and guilt and saying, oh my gosh, poor me, or, you know, I, I got to sell everything. What it does is it spurs me onto a place of action. To say is there is there ability now for us to go out and continue to make this change that we've seen that it works can, mm-hmm. can we continue to get involved can we continue to help out can i do i have any resources not to be the savior again but to walk alongside and come into kinship with people all over the world both domestically and internationally that are hurting that's what it does it, it, it's in it, so it's a weird way it inspires me to hear that yes for 26 years i had a stomach ache but with clean water i don't any longer and that goes we're doing something right here
2: That's amazing, Ben. And you can hear not only do you see yourself as equals to the people you're serving, but that you actually put them up as your heroes, which is really, really cool. That's a great posture to show up. I love that.
1: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, it's important. I think it's important at at every relationship is to to really be curious, to not think of yourself as any greater. I, I tend to do that. I have a lot of pride, a big ego. And so I'm consistently needing to remind myself to stay curious. To stay, to stay uh, involved, because I can tell you one thing: as soon as I start to think I'm really cool, it comes down crashing very quickly. <laughs> and that happens with any person, a- a with any you know any human I met, meet wherever they're at in the world.
0: You know, those are such important lessons. I feel like I have to learn them over and over myself. But you know, maybe it's just a bit of change of gears. Something that's interesting to me is I think about so many of the more like serious business people. That I spend time with lawyers, accountants, folks who haven't traditionally been involved in social media. They think it's for thirteen-year-old girls, stuff like this, right? And <laughs> now I have these guys my dad's age who like are asking me for advice on how to win on LinkedIn or stuff like this. And so I'd be interested, you know, Ben. We had this great guy on the show, Brendan Kane. He wrote this book called Hook Point and a book called Zero to Million about how he got a, z- a million social media followers in thirty days. And it was it's fascinating. the the principles that he uses about how do you like really break through in the first three seconds so that you can actually get them to hear your message. But one of the things he teaches is this idea of like getting the followers is not nearly as hard as keeping the followers. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about like, I'm just looking at your Instagram, 1.3 million followers. Can you talk about like taking care of that audience and not abusing the audience and, and just any of your philosophy on, on that being a relationship instead of like an asset to be used?
1: Yeah, that's tough. Well, one of the things is I have, you know, one of the, the ways that I can even sit here and talk to you today is because I have a tremendous team around. Is I've said, like, as soon as I'm the smartest guy in the room, we've got a big problem. And so <laughs> I have some tremendous help that helps me navigate all of this well with Generous, with any of the companies, with my social media. So I have a team that does helps with that. One of the things, though, as we talk about is we have to stay authentic to who I am and what I'm involved into. We can't make up stories. People redo that way too quick. It's, you know, in today's world things can become too transparent or are very transparent very quickly. And so if somebody sees me share something or talk about something, they can usually pick up if I'm, you know, genuinely excited about it or if I'm not. The second part is this is people's time. And so one of the things you have to value is that mm-hmm. social media is somebody's time. And so as, as you ask them to see something, like something, comment on something, respond to something, involve themselves in something, you need to know that that's a very valuable resource. It's the most valuable resource we got. So we're, they're giving that up. And so I want to respect that the best I can. And also know that, yeah, social media is a tool. It's a tool that I have to use, that I do use to spread the messages that I'm involved into. But with that, there's also an obligation I have to the things that I do involve myself in. Uh, I have to be very, very like particular about what I say yes to and what I say no to. One of the things, I guess, the biggest lesson for me, because it usually goes down with me responding to an option of what what it is that's going to be posted, and then kind of giving the directive out to the team to go out and and make it happen in the best way with 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 what we know is right. One of the things I've had to get really good at, and which I was really bad at, is saying no. Keep my yeses yes and my nos no. That's something that like is a biblical thing that I stand on, but it also has just been a really healthy thing. Is I set the standard early. Is I will say yes when I know I can do it. I will say no quickly when I know it's not an option. And I just had to get confident in those no's. And so, mm-hmm. with when it comes to social media, if thing is if something's not fitting inside of the the sphere and the, the 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 lane that I'm running in, then I have to say no to it, and people have to understand that. That's one thing. I would say some. I'm not a social media expert. It's something I've struggled with. It was a platform handed to me. Again, it was given to me. And then it said, go and do something with it. And I've gone, I don't know what to do with it. And so <laughs> I've had to learn along the way, but also bring in really talented people to help guide that with me.
2: Well, I love following your darling love story because you... <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, that, social <laughs> you know, media is good for that. Yeah. That yeah
2: I was going to say, I'm sure it was very fun watching you you know, on the bachelor, but I think to know that you found true love, finally, I'm sure you can speak volumes. We would be, I'm sure it'd be a big miss for your fans if we had you on the podcast and didn't let you speak about romance, dating and falling in love because (laughs) (laughs) you epitomize that in your, in your time on TV. Yeah. Well,
0: and I know we've uh, got kind of a hard stop here in, in two or three minutes. So Linz, why don't you, why don't you shape that up and we'll have a final question. What specifically do you want to hear the expert (laughs) talk about that? Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. What, how do you, how do you, how did you get such a beautiful, amazing woman, Ben? Explain (laughs) yourself.
1: (laughs) It's a shock to us all. Um, Well, I found my fiance now on social media. I was in Nashville, Tennessee for a fundraiser. I was staying at the Hilton downtown Nashville next to Bridgestone Arena. And I was looking to see, uh, there's a sports team checking at the front desk. And I was like, I wonder which that is. And so I checked on the locations on Instagram. To see what sports team had been tagged there. And her picture popped up and she was over at the hockey game. And I said, That is a beautiful girl.
2: <laughs> and I don't
1: know what to do about it. And so I screenshotted her profile and I just held on to it. Well, on Thanksgiving That's of darling, of, Isn't that sweet? Of Thanksgiving <laughs> of that year. I had a couple cocktails and I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna message this girl. It was months later, like eight months later, and I messaged her and I said, if you're single or if you're ever in Denver, I'd love to take you on a date. I don't know why I didn't. She responded. And we never stopped talking since then. So social media was really amazing. good for me. I'll be finding an incredible partner uh, and one that I'm going to be marrying this year.
2: Yay. Thank you, Ben. That was a great way to end the podcast.
1: Right. So every
2: everybody just screenshot and private message the person you have a mad crush on. It'll all work out.
1: <laughs> it, it works every time. Guaranteed.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> well listen uh appreciate support North for myth so pre- appreciate what you guys are doing with generous coffee and uh just the ways you're trying to make the world better
2: yeah thank yeah. you ben thanks so much jess for having us on you're the best yeah,
1: yeah thank you jess i really appreciate it guys thanks okay. take care bye everyone